Alleluia, Lord Jesus, you shall reign, and you alone. In the name of our Lord Jesus, dear fellow subjects of our great King, dear fellow beneficiaries of our amazing Savior. I've got to ask you something uh, this morning. How many of you either currently or used to work in hospitality as a waiter or a waitress? Raise your hand if, if, that, if you ever worked at one of those jobs. Oh, not so many, just about three of you. And I'm one of them. I'm raising my hand not just to be a demo, but uh, I worked as a waiter, bus boy. I was a kitchen boy and bartender, so I really know. In fact, that's what I'll be doing in heaven because clearly uh, nobody needs pastors in heaven, but we will definitely need waiters and waitresses and bartenders in heaven. So uh, I'm, I'm keeping my license current so that I have work in heaven. Um, but I, I learned to kind of love that work because I enjoyed being with people. But I also learned why they're called waiters because that's, you do a lot of waiting. You wait until people have finished with each course before you bring them the next one. You wait on their pleasure. Bartenders wait too, I'm here to tell you. Uh, when I was going to school at the seminary, I used to I uh, have to close down the place. So all the, all the waiters and waitresses were long gone, and I'd still be there with the, with the party animals. And thankfully, we only were open till one. <laughs> but I'd be waiting for these, like the last two couples, like, come on, get, don't you have a home to go to? Get out of here, go home. And, and I'm thinking, my, my day's gonna start really early tomorrow. So I'd finally sweep them all out the door and I'd make them go if they wouldn't at one o'clock. Then I had to quick take inventory and restock. So it was often two o'clock before I finally hit the hay. And you know when our first class started at the seminary? 7 a.m. Yes, people, ladies and gentlemen, 7 a.m. I had to really sleep fast in those days. And that's when I think I, I acquired my uh, abusive coffee habit and I also Basically, that, that whole senior year at the seminary took cold showers every morning to try to wake up because I was groggy uh, from too short a night. Well, the concept of waiting is a big part of human life. I, I'm usually very fidgety. I hate waiting for anything. And I love being pampered by the American uh, businesses which uh, fall over themselves trying to get my business. So I love how fast, how much faster everything goes than it used to. Still not fast enough for me a lot of the time. But I'll tell you what, we're all waiting for things, aren't we? I know we're all waiting for COVID. Oh my gosh, how many bazillion prayers have you and I said together in a big mountain of them? Every time I predicted that, yeah, I think it's crested, now it's going down, then it spikes up again and it goes back up and then it goes down and I think, well, now it's finally over. No, it isn't, it goes back up again. So who knows how deep into 2021 this ridiculous virus is gonna mess with our lives. I have no idea. Honestly, I'm, I've stopped trying to predict. I'm just trying to endure it just like you. But we are waiting some of you are sad people this time of year. And I don't mean just you're emotionally kind of blue. I mean seasonally affective disorder. And you don't, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I don't want to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. But maybe you know some people or maybe you yourself really get more depressed in winter, especially right now when the days are so short. Man, it's like you get up in the morning, it is dark. 
You come home from school or come home from work, it is dark. We go from dark to dark, and then there's more dark. These are the dark days. Thankfully, Tuesday, the solstice turns, and our days will finally start getting longer. But man, I, I happen to know a woman who is so sensitive about this. She, if she doesn't, at this time of year in December and January, if she does not sit under a sun lamp for an hour a day, she gets so depressed, she's almost suicidal. Now, I don't, I'm not making fun of that or despising it. That's just, unfortunately, how her brain chemistry works. But man, we are waiting to get the sun back. I, I don't know about you, but I love the days in June, July, and August, those long, long days when, when uh, I'm ready to go. I'm wide awake at 5 a.m. because the sunlight's barreling through the bedroom window. I'm full of pep and I'm still doing jobs and running around getting stuff done at 8.30 at night because it's broad daylight. I love those days. But we have to wait for them. If you're a kid, you must be just fried with waiting for Christmas. My parents, honestly, used to play, the five of us kids, used to play us like violins. We were so easy. They just messed with us the entire month. My mother would get Advent calendars. You know what those are? Where it's a big, elaborate piece of cardstock with little windows and doors that you open up, like in a church cathedral front or an elegant mansion or something. And each day, there's like a little number of the days of December, and you open one up each day. And come on, it's day 14. And we're thinking, oh, this is taking so long. And they would hang a sheet walling off the living room and we weren't allowed to go in the living room. No lights were on in there. We could dimly see the outlines of the tree and a hint of a sparkle of some tinsel. And so by the time the 24th evening rolled around, we were berserk with waiting and anticipation. So if you're a kid, I don't blame you. Advent takes too long, doesn't it? 28 days in the Advent season. And Christmas is only how many? All right, I'll give you a hint. Come on. Christmas is only 12. Whoever said that, thank you. 12 days of Christmas from Christmas Day to Epiphany is only 12. Why does the prep season last more than twice as long as the season itself? So we're waiting for that. If you're in your 30s, let's say, and you've got some kids, there's a lot on you right now. You're waiting, but you're probably also thinking, I don't have enough time to get everything done. Every, all the pressure's on me to make magic happen. And not only do I have to deliver for my children, I have to, we, we torment ourselves by thinking, I have to give Christmas to my children. No, you don't, but we think we do. Also, if you have company coming over, you probably are afraid you're going to feel judged by whether whatever event you put on is up to snuff or whether people are going to think it's lame and dumb and the food is bad and it, the evening was badly organized. That's a lot of pressure. So the, the run-up to that time, you might be so stressed, worried about having to be the, the family cook or the family event put her on her, that you're not enjoying the time because you're dreading it. That's a bad kind of waiting, isn't it? If you're an empty nester, you're sitting by the phone thinking, gee, I wish the kids would call. Haven't talked 
to our kids in so long, and they're all busy, and they don't think of you, and that's, that's kind of blue. So a, a, lot of, a lot of the older, like the retired folks are kind of waiting for their kids to kind of pay a little more attention to them, and that may or may not actually ever happen. If you're much older than that, uh, like when I used to go visit Cliff Buchholz in his nursing home, you remember Cliff, don't you? You know what he said to me every time I was there? Why doesn't God come for me? I pray every day, Lord Jesus, please take me home. Get me out of here. I want to be in heaven. He was waiting for heaven, so Advent was kind of good practice time for waiting. For these and all the other kinds of waiting we have to do. You know, back in, uh, when I was in high school, there was a huge music festival in Bethel, Big Bethel, New York, uh, actually it was named, that's where the, the farm was, where this music festival was. It was named after the town nearby, but it wasn't actually in the town of Woodstock. It was in Big Bethel, but everybody calls it Woodstock. And Joni Mitchell wrote a song about it. Hundreds of thousands of people all converged. Uh, soon they overwhelmed the ticket styles and actually people stopped even trying to pay. They just invaded the place and came, and the weather was terrible. It rained half the time. It was muddy, soupy mud. There was inadequate sanitation, inadequate security, and yet nobody was knifed or killed. No big fights broke out. Uh, nobody was mugged. There, there was no major crime ugliness in spite of the fact that hundreds of thousands of people were all congested without hardly any arrangements. And it made people think like we're on the dawning of the age of Aquarius when a great music and a lot of weed will just make us all live together in peace. This was his fantasy for a while. And uh, Joni Mitchell wrote a song called Woodstock. Uh, and in the refrain is, and we got to get ourselves back to the garden. And she, it's a rather brilliant song. She, I don't know that how much of a Christian Joni was, but she clearly felt the fact that people have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We're not home yet. We're longing. We're longing for a place of belonging. We're longing for belonging, longing for connectivity, longing to get back to our, our true home. And you know what? You and I are camping also, aren't we? We're not home yet. As much, like all the time we're we're always wishing we had heaven on earth, but we don't. We're camping. You know, so were the Israelite people. They were camping for a few months at the foot of Mount Sinai, and then they decided that they would rather worship a golden calf. And in sadness, God said, you, you like camping that much, huh? Well, you're going to camp for 40 more years. Um, you need to grow up. In fact, I'm so disgusted with this adult generation. Uh, you're not going to inherit the promised land. I'm going to give it to your children, and you're going to die out here in the desert. There are two to three million graves of Israelite people buried in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the desert of sin, as it's called. But God said, I still will be with you. I love you, and I'm going to forgive you. Through repentant hearts, you will receive my forgiveness and my favor. But here's how I want you to meet me, and here's how I'm going to show up for you. And he gave Moses instructions how to build a tabernacle, a portable tent church. 
It's frequently called the tent of meeting. It's a tent of meeting for people for whom their, their life is a, is a camping trip. They have not fully and finally arrived yet. So it was made of a great big rectangle, made of leather, animal skins, and hides of sea cows, about half the size of a football field. And then inside that enclosure was a rectangular tent with a great big fire pit outside of it. And God's, excuse me, God showed up to the Israelite people in fire. Isaiah calls it a consuming fire. The first fire, I talked to you about this a couple of weeks ago, was the fire in the fire pit of the altar of burnt offerings, the altar of sacrifice. Animals and wheat and produce were burnt up in it, burnt to a crisp to give back to the one who made it in the first place. And those flames, which never went out, not only burned once a week, but they were burning constantly as people, as individuals, brought their sacrificial obligations to God. And the burning of animals was a steady object lesson that God used to pound into their heads, that should be you. Those flames in that fire pit represented the flames of hell. And that's the first message those Israelites needed to remember about God. That should be you going in there. But God will accept a substitute. Somebody else may take your place. And those animals, people might say, were innocent of whatever sins the people had committed, even the sin of building a golden calf idol. God said, exactly. An innocent substitute will die for you and you go free. And that idea is central to the faith of the Old Testament Israelites as it is central to you and to me. Our Savior Jesus Christ's altar of sacrifice was a vertical cross, but it was the same concept. And people back then and people today are saved by the same Savior in the same way through faith in a substitute who died so that you might live. Now, if you passed through that first ring of fire, you still had to keep your distance from God. We're still kicked out of the Garden of Eden, but God said, by proxies, I will let you come into my house. That little rectangular tent made out of animal skins was a, like a little temporary camping heaven where God would dwell. And he said, you can't come in, people, but your proxies can come in. The priests will be your proxies. They will represent you, and they have to wash and sacrifice to make them worthy before they can step inside the flap. Also, you can be represented before me with the proxy. Uh, you remember from two weeks ago, what substance inside that holy place would represent the people. There was a golden table, and on the table were 12 things representing the Israelites. You remember what they were? 12 loaves of bread. Well, that's an odd thing, isn't it? Well, just like people, uh, bread goes stale, and so do we. They need to be refreshed. Every week, a new batch would be baked. 
And that proxy represented the Israelite nation now allowed to go into God's throne room, into his presence. Across from the table was the illumination of the golden lampstand. That's the second ring of fire. And that, because uh, fire consumes and destroys, but it also illuminates. It's brighter up in the front here because those candles throw off some light. And it, you may have some candles in your house if there's a power outage at night and all your lights go out. It sure is, in case you don't have a generator, it sure is nice to light up a few candles, isn't it? Candles do illumination. And what they did was they threw light on the bread to show that God's house is open 24-7. Also, those seven oil lamps were like the eyes of God. I'm watching you. I can see you. I am engaged in your life. We're this close. I'm perceiving you. I see you. And I like you. Now we're on to the third ring of fire today. So fire destroys and consumes. Fire can illuminate. Fire also creates a pleasant smell. If you come over to visit our house, you will think you are in a pine woods because somebody in our home has this thing about Yankee candles with a pine scent and has them going pretty much all the time. In fact, our home is a fire hazard because those candles are burning. I try to blow them out at night or when we're leaving, but I'm never sure I got them all because somebody in our home loves the smells of Christmas. But that only happens with fire. You know, when you're, if you're having a fire outdoors, one of the things you can do to kill time waiting for spring is to have a great big old bonfire. And let me tell you, burning up pine branches, pine logs, and, and pine needles is not only fun to look at, but man, it's, you can really, the scent is kind of compelling, isn't it? That, that piney scent of burning stuff. And God, in, integrated that sensory experience into worship. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 30. Moses, I want you to make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. Altar, now what would this altar look like? God said, I'll tell you what it's gonna look like. Make it square, little, 18 inches by 18 inches. So it's a you know, little, little square flat thing on four legs. And uh, make horns on the corners so that the edges had raised corners because there were ceremonial reasons for that. Make a gold molding around it so a little bit artistic. God doesn't want just rough carpentry. He wants cabinet level stuff. Make two gold rings for it uh, and have uh, to hold the poles used to carry it. And by the way, overlay the poles with gold too and put the altar in front of the curtain that's before the Ark of the Testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on that altar every morning when he tends the lamps, and burn it again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so that incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. If you jump ahead to verse 34, the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum resin, anica, galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, so 25% of each of those four things, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It's to be salted and pure and sacred 
grind up to powder and place it in front of the testimony of the tent where I will meet with you. So this is a friendly place. This is a happy place. And God wants it to smell good in his happy place. It is most holy to you. Don't make it for yourselves. It's holy to the Lord. If you make any like it for like, and then put it in your Yankee candles, you must be cut off from the people. You're not allowed to have this special tabernacle incense for personal use. It is for my house only. So what's the point? Here's the point. And here's the point for you and for me as well. Everything about the tabernacle was all a visual ritual as designed by God to be teaching experiences to help the people of Israel grasp how they would interact with God. This is their interface. You know what an interface is? Thanks to computers, we pretty much all kind of hear the word interface. An interface at your, at your computer station is how you manipulate the computer and enter data. Uh, it might be a keyboard or it might be a, a screen keyboard where you tap or it might, there might be other just buttons or things that you click on your mouse or you just tap on the screen. That's the computer interface. The tabernacle was how a sinful people could live life with a holy God. Step one, the first ring of fire is the consuming fire, but an innocent victim has taken your place. So those fires of hell burned someone else, not you. And words of forgiveness and pardon have been spoken to you. The lights of the lamp that have been lit are, are not destructive, they are illuminative, and you are welcomed into God's very house. We're still kind of kept at a distance, aren't we? We can't see God face to face. Jesus has still has his human body, but we gotta wait. We're still waiting for his return. But while you're waiting, ring of fire number three wants you to feel good about your relationship with God. And incense did a double visual for the people of Israel. Number one, man, you could smell it. And the thing is, Incense is spicy and sweet, and it has an intriguing, uh, beautiful smell. I don't know, does anybody still burn incense at home anymore? The hippies back in the 60s did it all the time. A couple of old boomers like me maybe remember that stuff. Uh, but man, we all loved to do that back in the day. It was exotic and spicy and sweet. Maybe you just burn your scented candles and call it a day. But the point is, you smell good before God. Everybody I know, is insecure to some degree. I only know three kinds of people in my whole life, insecure people, really insecure people, and pathologically insecure people. That there's only three, and you're one of those three, and I am too. And our prayer life can really suffer when we feel unworthy of God. And so, if you can imagine that spicy smell in the air as the priests were standing before that little golden table and praying up a storm, here's the lesson to learn. God loves me. He thinks I smell great. He doesn't think I stank. He thinks I smell great. I'm acceptable to him. I'm clean enough to come before him. He loves hearing from me. He loves to hear my voice. Ask any 70-year-old parent. They love it 
when their kids call and when their grandkids call. They love to hear their voice, and God loves to hear yours. You are as clean and pure as Christ himself through your faith cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, another feature of incense is that it sends up a thin white trail of smoke rising up gracefully. And that was a visual to remind people that your prayers are not just clunking to the ground, unheard and uncared about, but everything you utter to your Lord, no matter how trivial, no matter how repeated, is precious in his ears. He considers every one. He embraces and welcomes every message you send him. He processes every one in the best possible way, and he acts on it and executes it at a time that he thinks is most ideal for everybody involved. And so this Advent, I invite you to enjoy the third ring of Advent fire and realize that God is delighted with your presence, thinks you are beautiful in his sight and can't wait to be with you in person, and that every message you send during your time of struggle, your time of suffering, and your time of waiting is heard and acted on in a way that will bless you. This is good news for God's people. Let everybody say, Amen. Lord bless you. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.